For some of you, it's your first time. For others, it is not. But for today, I would like to welcome you all to Epic Realms. Friends and enemies, heroes and villains, welcome to Epic Realms. Today's guest is a writer, author, editor, game designer, and a million other things. She's done work for Paizo, D&D, both the Adventure League, novels, all kinds of things. She's done editing for many of our previous guests, such as Chris Jackson, Eric Scott to be, Ed Greenwood. Please welcome Gabrielle Harbowie. Did I, did I get the name right? Did I get it, get it at least close? You absolutely got it right. Nailed it. It doesn't happen very often, but once in a while, I nailed it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Welcome. Harbowie like David Bowie. David it's... Bowie. I know. I, I'm saying that in my head, but then I was like, am I going to say Harbowie and just like make a big weird like pause in the middle? Like a, like there's a dash and it's like, how do I? I know you said it. And I was like, well, I'll, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my best to not make it sound awkward because I asked you offline, offline kind of if I pronounced it right. So <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. So all you good. and I. We met at Gen Con last year. We I did. was sitting, uh, hanging out with Eric Scott to be and Aaron mm -hmm. Evans. And Eric goes, Oh, you got to meet this person. You got to meet this person. They're so awesome. And they introduced <laughs> you to me. And I was like, Oh, cool. How's it going? What do you do? Like, cause I didn't, I, I hadn't heard your name before and I didn't know exactly what you did. And you like gave me your card and I looked at it. I was like, well, this is cool. And then like, mm -hmm. I was talking to you and we chatted for about 10 minutes. And then I was talking with Eric mm -hmm. and then Aaron had to run off and, I was like, that was really cool. And that was one of the things that I took away from the entirety of Gen Con. The entirety of my first Gen Con was getting to meet you and how excited I was to eventually have you on the show. And stuff happened since then where, you know, illnesses and, and drama and all kinds of other stuff. And I'm super glad that we are able to have you on now. Yeah. See, I thought that... Uh, when Eric said, you have to meet this really cool person, he was telling me that you were a really cool person. Oh, so, oh. So no, I was hey, I, equally know, excited to meet you. Thank so, you. All worked out. That was your first Gen Con. Wow. That was my first That's Gen great. Con. That's great. And I was literally, I, I got brought in, there was a game designer that asked me to help help run the booth. And I was like, sure, I'll help run the booth. And then when I'm not running the booth, I'm going to go to all these things and support all the authors who have been on the show. And so that was really what I wanted to do while I was there. I'd like networking a little bit but i really wanted to go and support all the cool authors that have been a super cool part of it and get to meet them in person because uh, i've you know very few of them i've gotten to meet in person so so you're yeah. on that list you're on that list of in-person meets that i've met great <laughs> that's terrific how did and you, they are great people <laughs> how did you get into the industry like what was kind of your first stepping stone i know you had some some schooling and some college stuff that was kind of tied in there but like you've done so many different things what was kind of like your your first foot in the door so i actually uh originally went to college for music and when i washed out of being a symphonic percussionist i ended up in psychology slash data analysis and this is related, I promise. Okay. And from data analysis, I ended up working at a major publisher in New York doing uh, sales analysis. So kind of forecasting unit costs, that sort of really super interesting stuff where you proofread a lot of spreadsheets. And um, when I uh, realized that the person sitting across from me was proofreading the next book in a major blockbuster series, I thought, why am I doing this? How do I get to be the person who does that? Yeah. So I had this friend from college who was a writer and I said, hey, I'm happy to, you know, proofread your next book for you. And they said, okay. And then I contacted their publisher 
who was Gwen at Dragon Moon Press and said, technically, I've already done work for you. Will you hire me? And she was elated and she said yes. And I started getting a whole bunch of freelance editing jobs. And uh, I think my second or third author was Chris Jackson. Okay. Uh, Dragon Moon was doing a lot of uh, podcast novels. They were taking, they were buying the print rights to novels that had been podcasted in their entirety. So we got to work with a lot of the early pioneers of podcast fiction, oh, like okay. Scott Sigler and T. Morris and Pitt Ballantyne and Christiana Ellis. And so um, Chris Jackson was the first author that I worked with at Dragon Moon, who was not a podcaster. Okay. And um, I actually, uh, in a roundabout way, am the person who got Chris into writing for games. <laughs> Now that's cool. That's something I'm, I'm. So was it when you say you got him into it? Was it like you got him into like doing like actual games or tie-in fiction? I got him. Uh, I talked him into coming to Gen Con mm-hmm. because Ed Greenwood and I had our first anthology out, and we were selling it in the dealer's room at Gen Con. And I said, "You have to come. You know, get a table here. You know, get a table next to me, and you know, we'll sell our books, and it'll be awesome." And Chris went to Gen Con and went to a panel about uh, writing tie-in fiction at Gen Con, gave his card to James Sutter at Paizo, and started writing tie-in fiction. That's that's awesome. That's awesome. James Sutter, another person we've had on the show, for those that are watching or listening. Uh, you, you should have made a bingo card for this. I should have. <laughs> you were talking about uh, getting Chris in into some of the gaming gaming stuff and tie-in fiction and whatnot. And then eventually, of course, you had your book that came out that was like the last of the Pathfinder tales. Mm-hmm. How did you get introduced to role-playing and the whole world of role-playing? Well, I got introduced to role-playing in third grade in uh, a year that starts with 19, mumble, mumble. Uh, <laughs> my third grade teacher had us play D&D once a week instead of free reading time. We pushed the desks to the side and anyone who wanted to could read and anyone who wanted to could play dungeons. And uh, we mapped out the map in masking tape on the floor and and did the whole thing. And uh, I was hooked. Well, in the era of 19 mumble mumble, like there's a lot of, there was a lot of stigma going on back in, in at least a (laughs) little bit before the end of that era. So yeah. like to have that in school is, is, is that's really cool to see. I mean, now it was now very it's cool. commonplace to have D&D club and stuff like that, but. Right. But yeah, I was, I was at the very beginning of that and then it went away for a long time and now it's back. But I think this was, this was, this was 1980. So I will date myself with that. Uh, did, and did you, uh, <laughs> so it was just before people... all of that panic sort of thing. Yeah. Did you know who some of the, like the authors that, you know, the Ed Greenwoods and stuff were getting into that? And then you were like, you knew them and then later met them? Not really. Um, I knew Mr. Lawrence's class and that was all I knew from it. And then uh, in high school, I played um, the Marvel superheroes game. Yeah. So I knew Jeff Grubb's name when I met him. Okay. Uh, And Ed's name was vaguely familiar but i didn't really know from where and uh so it was a bit of uh, my my very first uh panel as an editor was at a con called ad astra in toronto okay and uh my very first panel as a professional i was going to be moderating a panel about character names and on this panel were ed greenwood and robert j sawyer all right and Rob Sawyer is one of the winningest authors in science fiction. Uh, I think he was the first science fiction author with a website. He uh, had a TV series based on his books that was in development at the time. And Ed was Ed. So I went to do my research on these people and I was like, oh, great. No pressure. And I walk in the door and I said, I'm an editor. And they took me seriously as one. And they said, where do you work? And I said, Dragon Moon Press. And that's a Canadian 
sci-fi fantasy publisher and they both knew it and said, oh, you work with Gwen, excellent. And they knew my publisher and some of my authors. And uh, so it was, it was very accepting and there was no gatekeeping. There was no, you know, prove you deserve to be here kind of professional boundary. It was just, oh, you're an editor. Welcome. Yeah. That is so cool. And, And it was great. That's, that's after awesome. the panel, Ed and I chatted for a bit, and he said my agent would not allow me to give Dragon Moon a novel because of the amount that he requires that I get as an advance for a novel. Yeah. But if you happen to do an anthology, I would be happy to give you a short story. And I said, well, I don't have an anthology to put a short story in, but we could make an anthology. Yeah. And that's how that began. Oh, really? Yeah. That's really cool. So he said, I have this anthology idea. I've been kicking around for a while, but it hasn't had a home. And we made it happen. And then we made two more happen. And then we did a different anthology with a different publisher. And we would love to do more, but, you know, time and schedules and funding and all of that. But yeah, that was... That was how that all began. I was going to ask you how you, because you have so many anthologies that you have your you have your fingers into. Like how mm-hmm. like I was very curious how you got into so many anthologies, because oftentimes it's like people are authors and they will write the bigger books or their editors and they do the bigger books and then they just they do an anthology here or there. But it seems to me like you do way more anthologies than anything else. And maybe I'm wrong, but I uh, did, I did. Uh, Unfortunately, my mother passed away, and she was a huge sci-fi fantasy reader. She's the one who got me into reading science fiction and fantasy, and all the classics were right there on our shelf at home. Um, So I knew that there was no better way to use her inheritance than to fund this anthology with Ed. So I told Gwen at Dragon Moon, I will pay the author's pro rates out of the inheritance. If you publish it, Ed and I will do the work. And, uh, you know, he knows everybody who is everybody and yeah. he'll get us, you know, great names and great stories. And uh, so that lasted for uh, three books. Yeah. And then inheritance ran out and we had kind of done that theme to death and books ran out. Yeah. Uh, we weren't even planning to do a second one, but when Mercedes Lackey walks up to you at a convention and says, why wasn't I in your book? You make a new book to put Mercedes <laughs> Lackey in. Yeah. That's really cool. And I'm sure Dragon Moon Press, had, they were like, wait, we all we have to do is publish it? That's all we have to do and we're going to get all of this? Like, I'm sure they were perfectly happy with having throwing their name on that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> What's uh, what's kind of your go-to talking about gaming? What was kind of your some of your go-to gaming stuff back then? You mentioned Marvel, um, and mm-hmm. then also what is kind of some of the stuff you enjoy now? Uh, it was Marvel and D and D back then, and then I got into Pathfinder, uh, mostly in conjunction with writing Pathfinder. Yeah, because uh, when you write the tie-in fiction for the game, you have to know the rules of the game. Yeah. Uh, so I started playing in Pathfinder Society, and I found a local gaming group, and that was really cool. And um, got really into Pathfinder, and then um, didn't really get as into Pathfinder Second Edition. Yeah. And at the same time, I ended up uh, in with a bunch of friends who were playing Five E. So I ended up going back to Five E, and I think. That's mostly what I'm playing now. Um, I like other systems. I love Shadowrun. Um, I would love to play more Fiasco, just putting that out there into the universe. Shadow of the Demon Lord is a fun system. Um, I'm pretty much open to trying all systems. Uh, the Modifius Dune is really cool. I haven't heard of that one. That one sounds Yeah, they have a D20 Dune game okay. that's super into the political intrigue oh. and uh has a great system set up for it so i love me some political intrigue those are some fun rpgs to to, to sit down it's at a table the sort of thing that i can't put my head around to run it but i love to play it right right yeah those are sometimes difficult are yeah. you a do you find yourself being more of a player or more of a game master i'm 
one of those people who uh, is ultimately an introvert, but I step up if no one else is going to step up. So I end up running games as much as I end up playing them, I think. Do you, so, but you enjoy being a player a little bit more just because of that? I enjoy both. I enjoy both. Uh, when I when I DM, the thing that I really miss is leveling up. So I have a hidden character in all my games, like on roll 20 or whatever. And when the party levels up, then I level up. And then I feel like I'm not missing out on the thrill of <laughs> leveling up. That's great. That's that's great for people who have the same issue that, like, I wish I had a character. Because so many people, their downfall is they're going to GM, but they have a character in the game as well. And sometimes that's really hard to do without it being distracting or, you know, playing favoritism towards yourself, even though, you know, you're not. So that's a great way of having kind of having both worlds. Yeah, I I don't have a character in the games that I run, uh, but I have one on the side in case I need it. And and that that helps me, you know, with that fear of missing out kind of feeling. Right, for sure. Do you, you've done a couple adventures as well for both Paizo and for D&D, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. How, uh, I did a, how did those come about? Because obviously those aren't novels. Those aren't really editing. Yes. You know, that's a completely different style of anything. It is. That came about through the, through connections, really. The Pathfinder adventure came about because I was on a panel at a con uh, with some Paizo people including John Compton, who was running organized play at the time. Okay. And I happened to mention to him afterwards, I would love to try writing on the adventure side of things as well. And they kept me in mind. Um, a while later contacted me and said, if you're still interested, we have an adventure for you. Okay. And then I leveraged that. And um, I was actually at a wedding in Seattle that was a couple of game industry people who were friends of a friend and someone at my table during the reception happened to mention, I wish we had more diverse writers for adventurers league. And I handed over my card. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> that is really awesome. So I've now written uh, two or three, two adventures league adventures. And then I had an adventure in the spell jammer, um, uh, prequel material. Okay. The intro were you, were material. Were you a Spelljammer person for the old Spelljammer? I wasn't. I I was completely unfamiliar. But uh, I got to look up a lot of that old uh, pixel art and <laughs> and all that stuff when I was preparing my adventure, and that was a lot of fun. And tried to throw in a couple Easter eggs and things. Yeah, which is always fun. Easter eggs are always fun. When you're putting together these adventures, what's kind of the what's kind of the goal? Do they tell you like, don't worry about stats, just give us the story, or make do you do have to put the stats in there as well, or how does all that work? You're usually using stats of established creatures, okay. so you don't have to make up your stats. I'm actually writing a an adventure independently right now, and it's the first time that I've had to do the entire thing, including custom creatures and stuff. So that's exciting. Um, But uh, no, they give you an outline and a plot and sometimes they'll give you specific monsters or sometimes specific maps. And uh, you have to basically fill in the blanks and make it make sense. Yeah. That seems like it, maybe I'm wrong, but that seems like it would be almost easier than writing, you know, your own, you know, your own full story for say like a gears of gears of faith. Faith. Yes. yes. So writing like the gears it, of faith novel, writing that out mm-hmm. seems like that might not be as easy as just like, oh well, they've already given me all the stuff I have to just insert words. Or is it? Is it, it more difficult? Because you're you're constrained to this and this and this and you have to have it make sense and you have to get to have these other options in there. It's definitely, I think, for me, easier to have all the constraints and all the ingredients. It's like being on the cooking show where they say you have to use this basket and it has these five things in it. Uh, And you have to be creative in how you put them together. But beyond that, it's completely up to you. I think that's a fun kind of challenge. That's kind of um, 
I've always been the sort of person who looks at role-playing games or like World of Warcraft and tries to fit real-world rules to the game mechanics and, you know, answer questions like, how come you can stack 20 empty vials but only five healing potions? Well, it's because the vials are the vials stack and nest in each other, and once you put the cork in them, they don't do that anymore, and things like that. Yeah. And yeah, before someone says it on the chat, I know that they changed those stacks. I'm an old timer. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, you carry your mount in your bag. How does that work? Right. Or you know, I I was always the person who tried to come up with reasons for that stuff, even facetiously. You know, how do how bad do healing potions taste if you would rather die than drink a second one within two minutes of the first one? Right. So I think that uh, lent itself very naturally to writing fiction for games. Yeah. Because I was already thinking along those lines, well, how would I make this, you know, make sense in a world context? And how do I make sense of the fact that a cleric has to refresh their spells every morning and yeah. and bring logic to that? So I had a lot of fun with that. Uh, I had uh, I had trouble coming up with an initial idea, um, but I had a lot of great help and guidance. And the Paizo team were very great about me saying, hey, what's the what's the is there a trade route from this place to this place? And they would get back to me and say, well, there's no trade route there. So here's the fastest way you would get from A to B, and here's the safest way you would get from A to B. And then let me make my own decisions based on that info. Yeah. Or you can just and put that in there. Like, this is the safest way, and this is the, the fastest way, and it's, you know, and have that be part of the story or, or whatever as well. So, yeah. So that was that was a lot of fun. Once we figured out the the basic frame of the story, the outlining was pretty easy, and then the writing was pretty easy. And uh, I had some great developmental editing that pointed out you're taking the long way to to get to this point, or you've got this character in here specifically because you want an unlikable character, but you're like going way out of your way to make this unlikable character unlikable and <laughs> it feels contrived and maybe you should just cut them. Yeah. Um. <laughs> How is that being that you, you're, you're an editor, right? And that's what you, the pre predominant thing that you do. And then here you write this book and now you have other editors telling you stuff that normally you tell others. Is that strange for you? Or are you like, Oh yeah, I, I know this, but it's my stuff. So it's really hard to edit myself. That, yeah, it was really exciting having an editor honestly. And, uh, you know, I felt like I had the expertise to be able to push back when there was something to push back on. Yeah. But I also had enough expertise to know that uh, they were editing very well and letting my voice shine and not getting in the way. And I learned a lot about developmental editing from seeing the things that they requested I add or take away. And I also experienced a lot of the frustration that writers experience. And so that was good sensitivity training for me working with writers yeah. where they're like, we want you to do more of this. And I'd be like, well, if I knew how to do that, I would have done it the first time. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you about that because you've edited a lot. So learning from others, do you think also that maybe they've learned from you, you being an editor that was an author? And when you do that, put, do some of those pushbacks, do you think that they learn? They're like, oh yeah, I didn't think about it that way. Yeah, I think so. Because I know how to phrase it so that people will listen to it, right? right? I've got that that diplomacy maxed out <laughs> from being an editor. So I know how to how to make my case for things. You know, um, So in the, in the Pathfinder novel, there's a dog. It's two women and their dog, and the dog's name is Apple Slayer. Uh, so you know this is going to be a very serious character, yes, right? Which is a really cute card, by the way, in the Pathfinder card game. Just saying. Oh, I love it. I I have them. Oh, there we go. I, I people yes. showing right there. The you've already I, played. I the have game. them on my desk. Uh, green screen is in the way, but green screen is uh, but not. Yeah, I fan. I keep them. I keep them right here to motivate me because there were cards made of my characters, and how awesome is that? How many yeah. people can say that? But uh, so Apple Slayer, um, 
is a goofball and he's based on a Samoyed dog. He's not called a Samoyed in the book because we don't have Russia in right. Galarian and that's where the name comes from. So it's just a generic sled dog. But uh, it's not Bravoyan. But the, <laughs> <laughs> but the way that I describe him and some of his postures, I use traditional heraldry words okay. uh, for the sitting up or the lying down poses. Uh, Sejant and Dejant, I think, and and they dinged that, and they said this is too formal, and it's words the reader might not necessarily know. And I said I really want that formality because he is such a goofball that when he's doing his official function as a guard dog or a fighting dog or a, a combat mount, I want to show that seriousness, and I want to use that for contrast. And they said, okay, fair enough. Yeah. And that stayed in. That's cool. And I never really, so I've only gotten to do clips and bits and bits and bits and pieces of that book because I'm primarily an audible person and I'm so hurt that that never made it onto audible. Me too. Damn it, Paizo, get it on audible. Um, yeah. So like, I have a hard time sitting down and our audience knows this, that I have a hard time sitting down with a physical copy of anything and reading mm -hmm. it. Uh, but I still definitely, I still like my friend Matt has all the physical copies. I'm like, I need to borrow that. And so I like grab it and I'm like <laughs> trying to read it. And I'm like, oh, but I really like, like, this is really cool. And I like the, and it's the only one I haven't gotten, gotten through yet. And has just, and still to this day, yeah. I'm like, I'm still like, that's still the, that's my, my one drawback is that's the one Paizo book that I haven't gotten through, but I just have such a hard time mm -hmm. with physical copies. Although yeah. maybe I'll get a, 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 there's a program that reads books to you that just, it's not as good as an audiobook narrator, but mm -hmm. you know, maybe I'll have to. I've, I've actually been thinking about like narrating a chapter here and there. And, um, you know, if I can find a, a rights uh, sensitive way to do that, that I'm not infringing on Paizo. Yeah. I would love to, you know, do a, like a live reading maybe for let you my Patreon the, or something. Uh, what's their, um, their Pathfinder Infinite? Maybe they'd allow it to do that and release it on Pathfinder Infinite for people. Maybe. I should check with them. Yeah, definitely. For sure. For sure. Yeah. The rights are, are difficult on that. It's tangled because that was part of the Paizo Tor deal. So yeah. they share the rights with Tor and it's it's confusing. Yeah. But it's but there's got to be a way because you could do a live reading of a book and right. no one can stop you. It's just if you record it for money, then it's a problem. Yeah. So so there's got to be a way. We'll figure it out. You also worked with Ed on what's known as the Ed Greenwood group. Yes. Uh, and he released Helma stuff and you had the Helma book. Tell us a little bit about that and how that, like, how did Ed bring you in on that? Um, Ed waited until my Pathfinder book was done because okay. he knew that they had only given me six months to write that. Uh, and then he said, I'm doing this thing. Uh, tell me the ways in which you would like to be involved and I will involve you because Ed's whole philosophy with that was that it, it was creator-led, creator-run, and the creatives would decide what they wanted to do and how they wanted to do it, and he would yeah. support them. So uh, we had great artwork by Eric Belial, and uh, it was basically a whole bunch of demon portraits, and we all got to pick one. And oh, I didn't know you, that. Claimed your, you claimed your portrait, and then you wrote your book about that character that was in the portrait. So I picked this really stunning black woman with electric blue eyes and electric blue runes in her skin and decided that those were magical tattoos and that she was a tattoo artist. And there was a hint of a wing, so I thought maybe she was a bit of a shapeshifter. And it was, uh, it all went from there. And I had such a blast writing that character. Uh, unfortunately, the Ed Greenwood group did not last, but Ed was, you know, always and ever a gentleman and made sure everybody got their rights back. Yeah. And so I stripped out all of Ed's IP from that project and that became Ether's Pawn. 
And uh, so a lot of that will be familiar to people who read of the essence. It just doesn't have demons. Yeah. My character is a djinn instead of a demon. And Which people that are watching the live stream or watch the video of this will know they can see the images scrolling by. So you can get a little bit of a reference on that. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's really cool that you've gotten to work with that. It's really cool that Ed gave so much back to the community. Uh, you were obviously weren't the only one in that. So it's it's really cool to see that. What kind of experiences did you take away from that that you look back and you're like, man, if this didn't happen, I wouldn't have this skill or wouldn't have that knowledge? <laughs> well, I definitely wouldn't have that book and those characters, and they've become a huge part of me. Uh, so that's fantastic. I also learned a lot about editing in a group. Um, I was uh, eventually promoted to senior editor and I was able to edit a lot of the other novels mm -hmm. in in Ed's Worlds. And I uh, had some style and uh, personal opinion conflicts with other editors under me and learned a lot about uh, how to be a team player instead of just the boss yeah because <laughs> when you're freelancing you can tell your client your opinion and your opinion goes and they can either uh, incorporate your edits or not and it's up to them but there's no pushback it's either they do what you say or they ignore you and you never know it's yeah. like you uh you send your kid off to school with mittens you don't know if they're going to wear them <laughs> but you've done your diligence by telling them it's cold out you're going to get frostbite take your mittens right. and they take them uh you know they may trade their mittens for a brownie at lunch you don't know but you've done your job <laughs> <laughs> i like that that <laughs> comparison it's mittens to brownies i mean priorities i mean i but... <laughs> think i would sacrifice some brownies for some mittens let's or sacrifice some mittens for some brownies let's be honest depends on how cold it is right yeah, I guess but, being from Minnesota, maybe I changed my mind uh, in the last, <laughs> latter half of the year. Right. But when you work for a publisher, you have that weight behind you where you can say, uh, you know, you can follow my edits or you can follow my edits. Yeah. Uh, but when you're, when you're delegating to other editors and it's their objective opinion plus your objective opinion plus the author's objective opinion then it's a lot harder to sort of you know be the voice of judgment on that yeah. you have to uh you have to learn a lot more diplomacy do you think that 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 can that dichotomy can harm a book just as easily as it can help having that many people like having completely different opinions on how something should be done yeah, it absolutely can. And I would never want to run a team of editors again for that reason. <laughs> because, no, I know this is objectively correct and that I'm objectively correct, but other people may not agree with that. Right. They uh, also but, think that they are objectively correct. Right. What yeah, the, um... and that's I, the, the author is the person who suffers there because it's mom, dad, stop fighting. Right. Yeah please it's my book <laughs> yeah so if if you get the publisher to agree with you and uh, you get the publisher to say you know this editor is acting with my authority and everything that they say goes then i can say this is the rule as written this is the rule as you must follow it or this is my suggestion and it's up to you yeah but uh it's my decision it's not anybody else's decision and I think it makes it a smoother process. And I am always listening to the author. And if the author has a good reason for what they're doing, then that's the most important thing. I call this having empathy for fiction, okay. where fiction is malleable and fiction is full of um, variation. And fiction is fiction makes its own rules. Right. And. Uh, I think if it supports the book and it supports what the author means to intend, then it's then it's valid. 
if it's ambiguous in a way that the author doesn't mean, that's when I have a problem with it. Yeah. But but often, like if I pick on a word choice and say you can't use this word here, that word isn't isn't the thing that the author is going to fight for. They're going to fight for the the image that that word helps to present, okay. or they're going to fight for something completely tangential than the thing that I have a problem with. And yeah. usually by understanding people's motivations and having them understand yours, you could get a solution that everybody's happy with. Right. Yeah, for sure. But the more people you introduce to that, the harder that is because the more right. opinions, yeah. more moving parts and then more people translating each other's translations wrong or mm -hmm. trying to translate what they think that mm -hmm. person means and figure yeah. out what they're going to, how they're going to respond down yeah. the road. Yeah. And, and there's an amateur editor thing where you feel like you have to change things just for the sake of changing things. Oh. And you absolutely don't. And most of my problems working with other editors have been them feeling that they need to put their stamp on a thing that doesn't need to be changed. Yeah. Let the author invent their own, you know, adage, their own words of wisdom, their own take on this phrase for the made up place that they're writing in and you can't tell them that their made up history is wrong. And right. Yeah. Do you have sometimes have a problem where you, you know, you get brought in to edit something and you look at it and this, well, this thing doesn't need really any edits. It's good. That right. is, that is a fear that I have, uh, <laughs> but it rarely happens. Usually there's something to say. Uh, even if it's something, even if there aren't very many things to say, usually there's going to be something where my insight is valuable and I feel like I've done the product a service. Yeah. You also worked for a company called Peer. Am I pronouncing that right? P-Y-R? Pyre. 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 That makes, I, I should have caught that as soon as I said it. Uh, That's okay. You did a lot of works for them. I did, yeah. What uh, What's the relationship there? How did you get in with them? Uh, tell us a little bit about that. I got this email one day uh, when I had been editing for a couple of years from a manager at that company, okay. actually at the at their parent company, uh, saying that they were looking for a copy editor and they wanted to know if I was available. And I squealed out loud and then uh, did a whole bunch of research to see if this was even legit. <laughs> because there was no editing test, there was no interview, there was just, are you available to take on these books by these Hugo winning authors? Right. Uh, yes, no. And I was floored and stunned and very happy. I had met Lou Anders a couple of times. Uh, I had gone to their booth at Dragon Con and had asked him, how does one get to be an editor where you're standing? And he gave me uh, the kind of answer that you would give any random person at a con. And then, you know, went on to deal with other things that needed his attention. Right. <laughs> but... Um, it was out of the blue as far as I was concerned. And one time I asked the manager who hired me, you know, how did you find me? What did you, you know, what did I do? Yeah. What did I do right? And she said, anyone in the field knows who you are and, and knows your work and knows your blog at the time. So I was really stunned. I was, uh, I was very active on my blog and I was writing editing advice two days a week and most of it was just sort of out my butt. I mean, yeah. I'd never been formally trained. It was all just my experience talking. And my experience at that point was was at least 10 years less than my experience at this point. Right. <laughs> um, but I, I guess I said good, insightful things and hit a nerve. And uh, they brought me on as one of, I think, very few copy editors at that time. So I got to work on a lot of the books and there was a span of a couple of years where I touched almost all of the releases. And then they asked me to work their table at Dragon Con and because I had worked on all these books and I could recommend them from experience. Yeah. You know what's so then I got to meet all my authors and that was great too. Yeah, that is great. Cause a lot of people don't get to meet their authors. 
in person. Yeah. They, they just, they do their work and then they move on and that, that's yeah. that. Yeah. And I've been very lucky to build personal rapport with so many of the people that I've worked with. And now, I mean, it's, it's my favorite thing about the job, honestly, is that I've gotten to meet and connect with all of these great people. And that has also built more editing rapport and more credential because, you know, we're friends and they trust my judgment because I've worked with them on books before. Yeah. And I can also modify the kinds of comments that I leave to be more friendly and teasing and fun uh, when I know the person. Yeah, for sure. How was that for you to, to go to hear, well, how did you hear of me? It's like, well, everybody in the industry knows who you are. Cause that's, that's amazing. Be huge. That was amazing. It was, it was so validating. Right. Uh, I, I still have my photo. I ran into it today because my current job asked me for headshots. Uh, I ran into the photo of me holding my, my first check from Pyre from my first book. And I hadn't even opened it yet. And my grin is just glowing and, uh, I still have it in a frame. Yeah. I mean, I, I cashed it electronically, but right. I still have kept the physical one. For That's a, a great idea to do it electronically. <laughs> so you can keep the, the physical, the physical version. Yeah. I never, never really thought about that. Yeah. And that was Aaron Hoffman's series that I'm not going to remember the name of right now. <laughs> when you're talking, cause you mentioned you do a lot of copy editing, there's a lot of different kinds of editors. So when you're talking copy editing, what kind of work does that entail? Is it just like changing words around or changing the overall story or like the final touches? Uh, tell our audience a little bit about like specifically what copy editing is compared to the others. So copy editing and line editing are things that people use interchangeably. And it's basically going through on a line by line basis and doing the sentence level editing. But it also includes like fact checking and continuity and someone's eyes were blue in the last chapter and they're green in this chapter or this guy died in the battle five chapters ago so why does he have lines here you should maybe give those lines to somebody else yeah uh, and things like that in addition to use the word down three times in this sentence let's replace that with something else or uh grammar and punctuation mechanics and things like that i'm assuming past so it's very tense, much present tense and all that kind of stuff as well that's like the major editing point of view. Work. Yeah. That's, that's the, the intensive, uh, technical, mechanical editing, uh, logical flow, continuity, that sort of thing. Developmental editing is more the arcs, the characters arcs, the plot arcs, that sort of thing. Um, and then proofreading is after you have your final version and it's been bound up into a, a galley, which is the, the uh, dress rehearsal of making a book. Yeah. You, you bind it up into a book and then you look at it again. Uh, that's called the final proof. So proofreading is reading the final proof and making sure that there were no typos or layout format errors. Uh, if you have, separators between scenes in your chapter, making sure that you get the, the dingbat character instead of the number sign <laughs> and things like that. Um, making sure that the formatting has been applied to all the chapter headings, that sort of thing. Is that usually the copy that they send out to like media and whatnot? Is that same mm -hmm. one that you guys are looking at? Yeah. So if you see advanced reader copy advanced reader or uncorrected copies. proof, that means that it's the one that's that the proofreader is going to be looking at to do their proofreading. Awesome. So and I do that too. So that's not but, the fun necessarily ever the final copy. So when, when, when an author sends me one of those books before I have them on the show and I'm looking at it and I go, I hope this comes out on audiobook. Um, <laughs> and I, go, my, and I tell my <laughs> wife, can you read this and, and tell me about it? Uh, <laughs> then, uh, that's, that's the copy that's going to be eventually changed for any little, little things that end up in there. So that's super right. Cool for the for the final print yeah nice change of subject switching out here a little bit you're <laughs> okay um, you're also you're you're also a judge for some awards right you did, i have did, been you yes did the parsec awards the the andre years. andre norton andre norton award when back when that was juried that that no longer has a jury but yeah that was that was a great experience to do that one year 
tell me about the some of the processes like how does that come about how do you process through that you're working with other people is it like everybody has to vote on things you read through things tell us a little bit about that process because i find that really fascinating uh we've had a couple award winners we're both uh, we had nathan lowell who's had multiple parsec awards mm -hmm. on here and, and we brought it up and i'm really curious how some of these awards get judged um you mean the actual process of judging the process of um, judging your independent anything to be honest because like so, it doesn't get talked about enough i don't think so different awards handle it different ways okay. and if there's a the the norton award jury was basically uh anyone could nominate any book but the jury was there to look for books that were notable uh that fell through the cracks Okay. Uh, so we had lots and lots of publishers sending us lots and lots of books. And uh, I lived in a library for a while. There were many, many, many books. <laughs> <laughs> and that one was more collaborative where the jurors would get together and talk about the books. And we had to... Uh, in the end, come up with our own recommendations okay. uh, as a jury. But with things like the Parsec Awards it and uh, the Scribe Awards, which is uh, the award for tie-in fiction, the uh, International Association of Media Tie-in Writers does the Scribe Awards at yeah. Comic-Con. Uh, that one is more um, a committee narrows down to the final entries and the judges get copies of those final nominees and then basically fill out scorecards. Okay. And it's individual and not collaborative. And then someone tallies those up later. What kind of what are the, what kind of things are on the scorecards? Like this book is too long, a one through ten, or <laughs> uh, I mean it's it's usually there's usually a judge's choice. Um subjective kind of rating there's usually how well it fits the category uh, for the parsecs there's uh audio quality is important yeah uh it it varies i'm not sure that i could you know share the exact scorecard but i'm pretty right, sure right. that, that an any idea. individual just as an yeah, idea yeah i'm pretty sure that any individual website talks about what uh characteristics they're judging on because they kind of have to yeah. probably so that people know that there's a semblance of uh, structure and fairness. And for those that but don't know, the Parsec is a, a podcast fiction, basically, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. So it's an audio. It's kind of like the earlier precursor of audiobooks, really, when you, when you think about it. Mm -hmm. It really so. is. I mean, there were audiobooks, but the idea that you would give your fiction away for free as a podcast was new at the time. Right. And uh, people thought, well, why do you do that? What what can you possibly gain from that? And it was about exposure a lot of times. And then it was about uh, companies like Dragon Moon uh, buying the print rights for podcast novels. Yeah. And it was a launching off point for careers. So like Scott Sigler, who got his start doing audio books and uh, now it's a national bestseller. Right. Yeah. All thanks to that. Yeah. I actually was nominated for a Parsec Award and lost to Scott Sigler. Oh, really? Well, I mean, if you're going to lose to anyone, right? Right. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, anyone in that industry has lost to Scott Sigler. It's a badge of honor. <laughs> you're currently in the process of uh, doing literary agency, correct? Yes, I am in training. I am an intern to become a literary agent. I don't know how much you can tell us uh, <laughs> because I'm sure that there are things that you can't talk about. But what is kind of the process of going from like intern and then learning it? There is so much to learn. There's just, I mean, so slush, uh, for anyone who's unfamiliar with the term, slush is the catch-all term for unsolicited sub submissions of fiction, nonfiction, whatever. So uh, publishers uh, that accept unagented submissions receive a lot of slush. Uh, agents receive a lot of slush. Short fiction magazines, uh, of which I worked with a few, 
receive a lot of slush. So this is a thing that I was familiar with from doing acquisitions at Dragon Moon and for reading for anthologies and reading for Apex Magazine, but it's a whole different level at the agency. Um, and most of my job right now is to go through queries from authors who want to be agented and uh, discuss with my mentors the submissions that we receive and what I like about them and what I don't like about them. And I'm learning how to put vocabulary to the things that I notice about books. And it's honestly amazing. It's, I'm learning so much and this is exactly where I wanna be. And I feel like all of my writing, editing, publishing experience has led me to this point where I am learning how to talk about books in a more succinct, deliberate way okay. and using my experience as an author to have sensitivity for what this process entails and using my experience as an editor to see what uh, what can be changed, what, what are the flaws in a piece, what causes those flaws. Um, I have so much to learn. <laughs> I've been doing this for 20 years. I have so much to learn. But do you think that your past experience gives you a lot of things that other people that might not have had that background, uh, you can come in and you have a completely different set of eyes than a lot of those people do? I think so. I think so. But I also think that that's, there's like, there's a lot of crazy stuff out there. And I hate to use an ableist word, but there's a lot of, there, people write, some stuff let me tell you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and i think the thing that i've learned that they haven't learned yet is uh you never say now i've seen everything now you you say now i'm one step closer to having seen everything <laughs> and but that's for the bad stuff as well as for the good stuff and right. and you, I feel like I maybe have a little bit of experience over someone who's been a casual reader and a fan of reading, but I have a colleague who's a writer and a teacher who's another intern, and there's another intern who's been a bookseller who's who's bought books for bookstores. Uh, so they have their own different kind of eye, and yeah. I think we all bring something different to it, but I think... Uh, we're all receptive and we all want to like every book and we're all very flexible and adaptable. Uh, and that's the thing we have in common, but I've definitely seen, you know, there, there are things that other people are agog at that I've seen before. Yeah. Uh, but then there are things that I haven't. What do you think the next like kind of some of the next steps are because obviously you say you're looking at a lot of slush stuff and like filtering it seems like you're doing a lot of filtering but at some point you're gonna have to learn like actually representing those authors correct mm -hmm. and have, yeah. you, have you branched into some of that yet or have you learned some of that part of the of the, the process i i've been to a few acquisitions meetings where the team talks about books that one agent or another wants to acquire uh, and we've all read the book and we talk about the pros and cons of the book and what we think it needs and where we think its strengths are and who we think would be a good fit for it publisher-wise. Um, I've picked a couple books out of the slush pile that I'm absolutely in love with. Uh, so even though I can't be the one to represent them yet, and I wouldn't want to be because I don't know how to do that. Right. Uh, but yeah, but I, I've picked books that I'm in love with and I hope to go through the whole life cycle of that process with them yeah. and see what it's like to go through acquisitions and then go back and meet with the author and then offer them representation and then learn how to um, develop a pitch for publishers and choose which publishers to pitch to and do the actual pitching. Yeah. And a lot of that is still sorcery to me. Yeah. But, and some of the promotions uh, too, because there's a lot of, mm -hmm. I have, my email is full of people that are literary agents that like, yeah, I have this new person releasing a new book and can they come on the show? And like, 
look up look them up and like oh yeah that person would be great you know so that's a whole nother thing so i'm i'm on the other side of where you're headed so eventually yeah. down the road you know we're gonna might have other conversations right where i'm gonna say you absolutely have to have this person on because they've written a great book and it's exactly your thing right yeah exactly yeah <laughs> I don't know how to get there yet, but I, I am on the way there. Well, I and wish you the best. That, that sounds so much me. fun. I can tell by the look on your face and the enthusiasm how excited you are for doing this. And that makes me happy that you get to do something. I really, really awesome am. Like that. You know, I have been advocating for authors for a long time now. And being the one on the author's side against the publisher, against, you know, the world. Uh, so being able to make my job advocating for authors and saying, hey, you really need to buy this book because it's amazing. Yeah. Saying that to a publisher uh, is my dream, uh, especially since I'm friends with so many amazing writers right. also. Right. And there are only more great authors and great books out there. So it's really exciting to think that, you know, I, I loved discovering new authors at Dragon Moon and uh, and to be able to discover more new authors and be in a position of greater power to help them is right. awesome. That's great. Are you still doing editing while you're doing that? Are you kind of like yeah. all kinds of different things all at once? Yeah. Yeah. This is uh, this is a free internship. So they encourage us to keep our other jobs. That's good. And uh, in fact, I feel like Corvisiero, that's the, the agency that I'm working for, is sort of actively testing us like you uh you are expected to keep a work-life balance and if you can't do that maybe we don't want you yeah which blows me away and i think it's wonderful that is and wonderful. i think more employers should do that and but I think yeah it's, as, it's also seems like it's it's yeah it's a free internship but at the same time it's also like getting free schooling so it kind of works it really ways. is i i feel like i'm getting a free three-month course in how to be an agent and i find that invaluable yeah. So I'm happy to do it. I just have to have a disclaimer with my editing clients now saying that if I accept money for this, it is unethical for me to turn around and represent it as an agent. So I wouldn't do that. Yeah. Uh, so if you want me to represent this down the road, don't hire me to edit it now. Right. Yeah. But That's... I mean, I'm I'm not at a point where I can represent anything anyway, so it doesn't matter. But I, I'm getting used to using that legal language that they gave me. So it's that, good to know ahead of time for sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, so there's no conflict of interest. How do you balance all of the different things? Because you're writing, you're editing, you're doing, you're doing uh, tie-in fiction, anthologies, RPGs. You're learning this. How do you balance all of the different things in your life? Because usually most people are like, "I'm an editor, and maybe I write wrote one book," or "I'm an author. Period. I don't edit anything." Yeah, but also you work in an office and you ski on the weekends and you have your weekly D&D &D game and you, you know, everybody has a whole bunch of different interests and so everybody has to figure out how to balance them. And I don't think, I think it was an epiphany when I realized that I was not unique in that, that I was in the same position as everybody else having to manage their projects in their life. Yeah. Um, so I, I am not doing tie-in fiction right now. I am working on a novel or three and also on a one-shot adventure that I hope to have ready for drive through RPG by Gen Con. I don't know if I'm going to make it, but that's my goal. Um, I hope you do. I hope I do too. Uh, I have some really awesome people, including Ed Greenwood, who offered to playtest it for me. So I need to finish it so I can get to that awesome playtest. Yeah. That's my goal right now. I'm not even worried about publishing it yet. I just need to get to where I can playtest it. But I'm doing that. Uh, a bunch of people at the agency are also writers. So we have started having writing group sessions. Okay. Uh, I'm in a writer's group session with Eric to be on Sundays. It's a lot of fun. Um, that really helps get me motivated. We all work on our projects, no office work, just personal work. Okay. And uh, so that's how I make time for that. Um, editing, I, uh, I've had to cut way down on my editing schedule, but also it's my sole income at this point. 
personally. So yeah. I can't let it go completely. Uh, I just have to be a lot more selective and learn how to say no to things. <laughs> Which is hard, right? Isn't that hard? It is hard. <laughs> um, it's a lot easier to say no to my personal writing, honestly. Yeah. That's the thing that's easiest to let go. Like, oh, I don't need to write this. It's just for me. It doesn't have a deadline. Well, that's good that, they, that you're in that group to help you out with that and make sure you get to spend some time on that. Yeah, it really is. Because otherwise, I would probably uh, continue to let it slide. If I didn't have external pressure, external deadlines, yeah. I, I would just say, oh, like I've done with this adventure where I say, oh, this isn't due until August. I have plenty of time, which <laughs> was true in May, but it's not true anymore. Not true anymore. No, not at all. <laughs> uh, you got a Patreon as well. What's, what's yes. on the Patreon? What can people expect from your Patreon? So my Patreon is a fledgling Patreon at the moment, uh, which means that I am actively taking input from subscribers and gearing my content to what they want to see. So I have editing tips. I have writing stuff. I have game writing stuff. Uh, I have a tier where you can play a role-playing game with me once a month. I have a tier where I can give you a one-on-one -on -one mentoring session or just cheerleading uh, on your current project. Uh, but it's uh, too early to really have a set theme. It's it's still evolving, and I really want it to be what's the, whatever is the most useful for people. Everyone go and check out that Patreon, patreon.com backslash Gabrielle underscore H. Uh, Tears also, start at three bucks. It's really cheap. It is. It is. And you've, you've got some people in there. You've got some people in there that are coming yeah, in already. I do. So I've got it up. eight people, I think. So I, I consider that still fledgling. Yeah. And, you know, you never know with Patreon. Like, I've, I've had a Patreon for like four years. I've, I haven't been promoting it or anything because I just don't mm -hmm. know. I don't know how to build it or what to do with it. And so every time I see someone, I'm like, yes, do it, do it. You can do yeah. it. And yeah. uh, so that's exciting. I, I'm treating it the way I used to treat my blog, except that I'm going a little more in depth because people are paying for this content. So you get more than just a blog post that I'm, you know, throwing out a couple paragraphs just to say I wrote something. Right. This is actually a little more insightful. And I'm going into the behind the scenes on some of my books and, uh, I have a new patron who requested uh, querying advice, so I'm going to be doing a series on that. And um, so lots of lots of potential for exciting stuff. I've worked all around the industry, and I'm happy to share my knowledge. There's nothing I enjoy more. So, you know, whatever uh, whatever people want to see, I'm happy to provide. That's cool. Cool, cool. Including cat Gen pictures, Con? and I will be at Gen Con. You've I'm uh, and writing things and gather group yeah. uh, the the panel being your panelists yeah. on of things. Uh, I yeah. didn't see exactly because I didn't look at their schedule, but usually usually it lists. So if you want to know mm -hmm. where she's at, you can just go on there in their events and you can just literally look for the name and it will yeah. pop up. I actually uh, I have a graphic with my whole schedule on it, and I have to redo that because my schedule has changed. Oh no! But. I will be on uh, an Ask the Editors panel. I will be on a panel about story arcs. And there's another uh, agent in training who's going to be at Gen Con, and we're going to uh, compare experiences and cool. talk about being agents in training. Um, and I'm doing a workshop on why all writers should read Slush and how to do it most effectively to help your own writing. That's great. So I'm excited about that. Uh, there are plenty of open seats for that. It's an extra $6 for that workshop. And I think it'll be well worth it because it's such a valuable learning tool for writing. Right. Anyone, really. Anyone who's in yeah. even interested in the genre. Like, if I were there, I'd pay 6 bucks to go to it just because of <laughs> this show. And it would I'd learn stuff. <laughs> it would help me figure out other questions to ask and stuff as well. So that's sure. I, I love it. Yeah. Uh, and your website is your name, Gabriel Harbour. It's Harbley. my name. Yep. Dot com. Dot com. Uh, mm -hmm. Twitter is at Gabriel underscore H. Instagram backslash Gabriel Harbowy. And uh, again, Patreon backslash Gabriel underscore H. Go and check it out, everyone. Yeah. Go and check it out. Uh, yeah. I, I have to change it up in the places that don't allow underscores. Sorry. No, right? <laughs> I have that same issue. I have that very same issue. 
So, hey, thanks for being with us. Stick around. We're going to ask some questions from the audience that are here in our post-podcast Q&A. So we will uh, commence with that as soon as we are done with the show. To our audience, I want to let you know, July 31st, we're going to be joined by New York Times bestselling author of The Bird Box. Uh, he inspired the Netflix film as well as many other books such as Mallory, Goblin, Pearl, and so many more. Josh Mallerman is going to be joining us July 31st. That podcast will be available August 1st. Also coming up, author D.L. Soria is going to be joining us. The voice of Scooby-Doo is going to be joining us. Scott Innes. We're also going to be joined by some of our previous podcast guests. Because, you know, we've been around a while now. And we want to get some of those people back on the show and find out what they've been up to. Find out some of the new projects. So stick around for all of that. So, for Gabrielle, I am Nick. And I want to say thank you all for listening to Epic Realms. Well, there you are. I hope you enjoyed yourselves. And I do hope that you come back and join us again for Epic Realms. Mm -hmm.